Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. $45.99 to watch a scary movie at the theaters with popcorn, and you can get it for free if you just work. You get paid to do that. He said one night there was such a violent reaction that he's working on one cadaver, and another cadaver jumped off the table. Like, and I was thinking through, like, some, like, you know, I didn't grow up in church worlds. Funerals, like, I don't remember, but maybe one or two funerals of guys I grew up with when I was in high school that passed away of different things that I'd been to. So when I was in ministry, like in ministry, like you're at funerals all the time. And so I'd been in ministry like six months. There's a guy at our church who is a documented case of spiritual healing. He had an aggressive form of brain cancer. They couldn't do surgery. They're they doing MRIs all the time. And at an altar of prayer, God supernaturally healed him. So much so the neurologist, everyone documented. It's researched and documented. About five years later, though, for some reason, the cancer came back. And it sped up, and so I was along with him and his family, or some of my small group leaders, and one morning his wife called me, she says, hey, Jamie just passed away. And I was like, okay, so I rushed over there, and I was sitting there at a table like this, and she's just sitting there, like, watching the prices right. You know, Bob Barker, come on down. The whole drinking coffee, I'm sitting there, I'm drinking coffee with her, you know, I'm trying to be, like, I'm new administrator, so I'm trying to be, like, the good pastor, and like, how are you doing? I'm fine, like, she acts like, Nothing's happened. All of a sudden, this dude walks through the front door, doesn't greet her nor say hi, and walks right to the back of the house. I don't know about you, but if somebody walks in my house, I want to know who they are, and then I want them to greet me. Like, he just walks in and leaves. And I said, that's awkward. Like, who was that? She says, oh, that's Jamie's brother. I said, well, where's he going? She said, oh, back there with Jamie. I said, so the body's still here? She says, oh, yeah, he's back there with his mom and dad. They're back there. They're praying with him. I'm like, you mean praying over him? Like, they can't really pray with him. And I'm thinking, I've never really been around a dead body before. Then I started thinking, so you're telling me, like, a doctor hasn't said he's dead. So we don't know if he's passed away or he's just taking really slow breaths yet. And I'm in this place like, oh, my goodness. And I was like, did the pastoral thing, well, let me pray for you because I got to go. Like, I got somewhere else to be. And Dr. Tony Evans is telling the story, and that's what I was thinking of. And, and he tells the, mort the mortician, the funeral director, he said, how can you work this job? Like, I couldn't work this job. And he says, he replies, he says, because I know better. I know that just because something looks like it's alive, it's still not alive. It gives some semblances or some signs of life, but there's actually no life in it. And I think for us as people, there's a lot of people in this room, a lot of people that we come in contact with, they give signs of life. Like their fingernails may still be growing, their hair may still be growing, but deep down inside, there's no life there. And I think life comes from meaning or purpose. And we start thinking it has to be more than just physical things, because physical things, these dead cadavers are still doing physical life. So what is the purpose or meaning of life? People have been asking that question for thousands of years. Socrates says it's happiness. 
Just seek after happiness. The whole meaning of life, purpose of life, is just to find happiness. Well, the problem with that is that which makes you happy today may not make you happy tomorrow. Once you achieve or chase after that which you're looking to make you happy, a lot of times you realize it doesn't really make you happy. Moyism is basically this Chinese doctrine or philosophy that says it's about selfless care, meaning we'll just care for other people. Well, that's great until you care for so many people you don't take care of yourself and you fall apart. Plato says it's knowledge. Just life's whole purpose, meaning is to chase knowledge, pursue knowledge, learn as much as you can learn. Well, that's great. What happens when your mind begins to fail? Others say it's chasing pleasure, maximizing pleasure, minimizing pain. That's great. What happens when suffering comes into play? Like there has to be something about life that transcends just the season of life. Like it has to be more than, some people think it's money and dreams and chasing ambition and careers. Well, what happens when you retire? You've been chasing your career, you gave your life 70, 80 hours a week trying to build your business and then you retire or the economy changes. Is there still meaning? Or family, some people say, well, my life is just my family. That's awesome. You can be one of those people at the ballpark who worship your kids. You yell at your kids, listen, your kid, pick the wrong side of the baseball bat to hold. He's probably not going to make it to the major leagues. Your kid is probably not going to play professional sports. If they do, that's great. But if you're wrapping up your whole meaning and purpose in life as raising kids, where's the meaning going to go when they graduate high school? Where's the purpose going to go? If it's love, and you find your spouse, and you get married, what happens when one of you pass away and one of you is a widow, is the meaning of life gone? See, you, there has to be something that transcends just the seasons of life that can be a constant from birth into eternity. There has to be something that supersedes just the physical life that's deeper ingrained in us. And I believe Christianity is the only religion that actually gives us an eternal purpose that happens, starts before we're born, maintains while we're living, and then supersedes and goes on after we're born. Christianity is the only religion that promises us purpose and meaning. The Westminster Catechism, for those of you that don't come from a denominational background, catechism is nothing more than knowledge through questions and answers. Somebody asks a question, you respond with an answer, you memorize them. And then one of the, the first questions is, what is the sole purpose of man? And the answer is this, to glorify God and enjoy him forever to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To honor God, honor God and to enjoy him. Like that, that gets me excited. Like I get to enjoy God. God has placed inside of you this desire to honor him, to glorify him, but also to enjoy him while you're here on earth. You would stand to your feet as we read Jeremiah chapter one. God is calling Jeremiah. This is the very first chapter. The rest of the chapter is based out of this conversation that Jeremiah has with God. This, everything Jeremiah speaks, everything he does is based out of this experience with God. And it says, starting in verse four, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before anybody had anything in mind about you, before they had bad thoughts, good thoughts, before you had a reputation, God knew you. 
And before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, O Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say. You know, if I was translating the Bible, I would say that probably means shut up. Shut up, Jeremiah. Do not say I'm only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you are a creating God. And we worship you as creator. Amongst all the things that point to you, the stars, the sky, the water, the beauty of the mountains, the beauty of life. Father, we know it points to you and it points back to us showing we're separate. We're different than every other created thing. We are created with the purpose, by purpose, and for purpose. And Father, I pray that you awaken us to that reality this morning. Awaken us to the ability to glorify you, to honor you with our lives, not just with our lips, but with our lives and with our purpose. And help us to enjoy you and our relationship with you forever and ever. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Jeremiah, God says, I knew you, I know you. I I formed you, I consecrated you, and I appointed you. See, when you understand God created you, God doesn't create anything on accident. God creates everything on purpose. And so when God created you, you could put your name in the scripture. When, when God created Bobby, before I formed you, Bobby, in the womb, I knew you. It's an amazing scripture that shows the intimacy that God has with us that he doesn't have with all the rest of creation, with the animals, with mountains, with with trees. He doesn't have that same relationship. With us, there's a special, unique relationship that has meaning and purpose wrapped all into it. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna break this scripture down with the four things God speaks over Jeremiah to help him experience a life of meaning and purpose. And number one, Life finds meaning when you know God and you are known by God. Everybody say, known by God. In the Bible Belt, everybody knows God. You ask anybody, they'll say they know God. But there's a scripture where Jesus is confronted with some people and he starts telling them this story. He says, many will say, we healed people in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. And Jesus says, and I will say to you, I never knew you. So there's this desire in us to know God, but also to be known by God. And I believe the biggest problem in our culture is there's too many people that know of God, but they've never repented or confessed to give God an opening to be known by him. See, I'm known by God when I let go of my old life and I confess and say I need him. That confession, that repentance is that opening to be known by God. And it is pivotal that as someone who's created, I have this desire to know who God is. But I also have this desire for him to know me. Like I have never, I was obviously not adopted, but if I was adopted, I think there's this desire to know who your father is, but also a desire for your father to know who you are. For him to know what you look like, for him to know what you like, what you desire. And I think in the same way spiritually, we wanna know who God is, but I, I really want God to know who I am. I want him to know my dreams, my hearts, my pursuits. And so at chapel, how we do that is we call it pursue God. And that's what this weekend experience, seek nights are about. It's about helping us know God better 
and let him know who we are through worship, through his word, through his message, because it comes to this place where I have a desire to know him who formed me in my mother's womb. And it's deeper than my parents. That's deeper than cousins and aunties and uncles and grandparents. That's deeper. He knew me before they thought of me. He knew me before, and he knew my name. He called Jeremiah by name. Can you imagine the God who created the entire universe? We talked last week, 100 billion to the 24th power. 100 billion to the 24th power. That's how many stars they think are out there. And Psalm says, and God knows every single one of them by name. Can you imagine? Dylan just said he can't remember y'all's names. And God is saying 100 billion to the 24th power. He knows them all by name. But then he says, Jeremiah, I know your name too. If you think those stars are important, I know you. Zacchaeus wanted just to get a glimpse of Jesus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was basically a criminal. He stole from people. He extorted people. He was a, no one like the tax collector. He was the dirtiest of the dirty. And since he was ashamed of who he was, he felt guilty for what he had done. He wanted just to get a glimpse of Jesus. So he climbs up in a tree, looks down upon a crowd. Jesus is walking through Jericho. Jesus stops and says, Zacchaeus. Can you imagine the knowledge and the emotions of this man who's ashamed of who he is, the Jesus who created the stars, knows their names, knows the names of little crooked evil Zacchaeus. Yet at the same time, he knows your name. And he wants us to enjoy the fact that we can have a relationship with him. And what that means is he wants us to enjoy the person of God. Like, God is a person. And you can enjoy him as a person. Like any other relationship you have, you can enjoy his presence. Like Seek Night Wednesday night was just incredible. Like I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm laying there and it's just I'm spending time with God. Like he's in the room and I'm, I'm just thinking his thoughts and I'm asking for dreams. And I'm asking for, for desires for my family. And I'm like, I get, to spend, I get to spend time with God. And when you think about it, it's a rare benefit all the Israelites they couldn't have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God they said 4,000 years people couldn't have an experience with God but you and I get to have an experience with him every single moment of our lives and what I've learned though is God is a friend that we can spend time with we can grow in our awareness of his presence but most of us when we spend time with God it's like two long lost friends reconnecting rather than a lover, husband, and a lover, wife coming together at the end of their day. So I'd ask you, do you enjoy God's presence, or is it like when you talk to God, is it two long-lost friends trying to catch back up? And one of my desires right now, personally, this is my own personal desires, I want to know God in his presence in a way that I've never experienced before. What that means is I, I read scripture, and I see the disciples walked with Jesus, they saw him heal people, minister to people. They heard his words. They, they saw him teach. They saw him, they saw him do ministry. They saw him do life. They saw him eat. They saw him drink. They, they saw every part of Jesus' life. Then Jesus dies on the cross. He's resurrected. He walks upon the earth for 40 days. Then he ascends into heaven. Then after he ascends into heaven, he releases his Holy Spirit back to earth. And the disciples saw no difference in their relationship with Jesus when they walked with him than when they walked with the Holy Spirit. 
It was the same relationship. It's like when they were talking to the Spirit, it's like Jesus is there, they just can't see his body. When they were crying out to him, they were crying out to him like he was sitting in the room. I want that. I want to enjoy God's presence so much that I'm never losing sight that he's with me. But I also want to enjoy his salvation, that God saved me. Like God saved me. If you knew me before I was saved, you wouldn't like me. If you knew me before I was saved, you probably wouldn't talk to me. But yet God spoke to me. God wanted me and God chose me. And it changed every single day since that moment. He wants me to enjoy that salvation. And what that means is that God gives me new life. I don't have to fix up my old life. I don't have to change my reputation. God gives me a new life. And what he expects in return is for me to give him glory. Me to honor him with the new life I've given him by how I live, by how I enjoy him. And so I do that through praise and worship and through how I live my life. When I worship God, I'm enjoying my salvation. I used to be in chains. I used to be in shame. Now I can stand here with my arms lifted up and worship him who set me free. I can enjoy him. I can enjoy also his blessings. It's okay to enjoy blessings. I think we live in a day and age where everybody's a hater and if anybody has a blessing, everybody hates on their blessings. But God gives, he's given me incredibly amazing blessings in my life. Like the blessings I have, my, my wife is a blessing. My kids are a blessing. My friends are a blessing. This church is a blessing. And I can enjoy those things. Like it's okay to enjoy the blessings of God. And most of those blessings come in the form of people. And the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. So follow me along with this for a second. So we're supposed to enjoy God forever. Westminster Catechism, know God, glorify him, and enjoy him forever. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. I would say that for the most part, the strength in the church and the strength in believers is not nearly as strong as it could be. I think we would all admit the church is not as strong as it possibly could be. Well, maybe the problem isn't a move of the Holy Spirit. Maybe the problem isn't another guest speaker or another meeting or another revival service. Maybe the problem is joy. If the joy of the Lord is my strength and I'm not strong enough, maybe it's because I'm lacking joy. Maybe if I could enjoy God more, my strength would be greater. But we've been through doctrines in church world where there was no joy. It's you come to church, you sit your little rear end down, you do what I tell you to do, you don't do this, you don't do that, and you go back, you come back, make sure you put money in the bucket, and you come back next Sunday, and you better read your Bible, you better do your prayers, and come back again. And there's no joy in that. There's no joy in the fact that my God, my creator wants me back. My, my creator desires me. In Hebrews it says, for the joy that was set before Jesus... The joy that was set before him, he endured the suffering of the cross. Meaning, the joy that Jesus saw on the other side of the cross is what gave him the strength to endure the trials and the pain of the cross. So joy gives me strength. If you don't have strength, maybe you need to crank your joy up just a little bit. Because what Jesus saw on the other side of the cross was not, not the throne room of heaven, not, not the, the promises of God. When Jesus saw the other side of the cross, he saw you and me. And when he saw you and me on the other side of the cross, it gave him joy that he could endure the suffering for the moment because the joy on the other side was going to be well worth it. So the question would be, when was the last time 
you enjoyed your relationship with Jesus? When was the last time you, you said, I just enjoy worshiping God? When was the last time you said, I just enjoy sitting down in the quiet and sitting in the presence of the Lord? When was the last time you enjoyed the blessings of God? Where you just really said, God, I enjoy my wife. I enjoy my kids. I enjoy my job. I enjoy my, when was the last time you enjoyed the Lord? Because you can't fulfill your purpose or find meaning until you begin enjoying why you were created, which is to honor God, which will lead to, number two, you'll find meaning in life when you start becoming more like Jesus. You will find meaning in life when you start becoming more like Jesus. Touch your neighbor and say, more like Jesus. Not more like Nick Saban, contrary to popular belief. Not more like Justin Bieber, thank God. More like Jesus. See, once I know God and he knows me, my purpose then is to become more like him. Like the more time I spend with someone, the more I become to look like them. Like that's what we teach our kids. Well, if you hang out with these people, you're gonna start becoming more like them. Don't hang out with the wrong people because you'll start becoming more like them. Why don't we say that about God? Why are we so concerned with our kids becoming more like other kids? Instead of saying, hey, why don't you hang out with these kids? Why don't we say, hey, why don't you spend some more time with God? Hey, why don't you spend some more time in, in prayer? Because who you spend time with is who you'll start to look like. And God wants us to look like Jesus. In Romans chapter eight, one of my favorite scriptures, and I know I say that about every scripture I read. In Romans chapter eight, it says this. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. What did, what did he predestine them to? To be conformed to the image of his firstborn son. Which means God formed us in the womb, like in perfection. Like he wanted us to look like Jesus deep inside. Then we're born into sin. Sin changes that form. We no longer look like Jesus, we look like the world. We look like Adam at that point. And life keeps trying to make us look more like the world. Then we get saved. And once we get saved, God says, look, I'm so pleased with Jesus. Like, I'm so just, I'm so satisfied with Jesus. I just want the rest of my kids to look just like him. Like, I want you to look like him. I want you to talk like him. I want you to act like him. I want you to sound like him. I want you to speak like him. I want you to look just like Jesus. And if you ever had an older brother, I didn't, which means I never got beat up when I was younger. And I got to wear my own clothes. He got all the hand-me-downs. God says Jesus is the older brother. If you ever wanted to be like your older brother, God wants the same thing for Jesus. He wants you to look just like him. Do the same things he did. He's so pleased with Jesus. He's like, look, if y'all could all just be like Jesus, we'll be okay. And he says there's a conforming that happens. There, there's a moving that happens. See, this is something we hit all the time is salvation is not the end of your journey with Jesus. Salvation is the beginning of your journey with Jesus. Like once you get saved, just because you raise your hand at a Billy Graham crusade, or you raise your hand at an Easter production, or just because you, you filled out a card at, at Second Baptist Church or Third Baptist Church, just because you took one step does not mean you finished the journey. And the only way I can really explain this is this way. When our kids took their first step, we were excited. Like Alicia, I remember her first steps, the twins, and RJ, I remember all their first steps. And like parents, you know, used to they'd celebrate, 
hey, they call everybody, text everybody, hey, Alicia just took her step, first steps, RJ, Ariana, Araya. Now you just get your phone out and you put it on Instagram. Now, if we knew better, we'd think, I hope my kid never takes their first steps. My house will be cleaner. My cabinets will be taken care of. They'll never have to drive. They'll never be teenagers. If they are teenagers, they may still back talk, but they can't stand up, so I can still kick them really easy. Like, like, if we knew better, we'd be like, never take your first step. Just stay crawling your entire life. It's much easier for us. We celebrate the first steps, but we don't celebrate now that my kids are teenagers and they come walking down the steps, I'm like, good job. I'm amazed. You're, you're walking. Good job. You're incredible. That is awesome. You're walking. My girls would be like, what's wrong with dad? Like we celebrate the first steps, but then we kind of expect them to keep taking more steps. Like we expect the first step to lead to a second step, to lead to a third step, to lead to a fourth step. If they stop after the first step, we would think something is wrong. We would think there's an issue because they're not moving forward in life. They're not moving forward in their development. They're not moving forward in their growth. In the same way, I believe God is excited when a believer takes their first step. When somebody says yes to Jesus, that's the first step. I believe, like we get excited, it says all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. I believe God is, great first step, great job, you did it. He's got his phone out, put it on Instagram story. Good job. I think he's excited, I think heaven's excited, but he's excited because he thinks the first step will lead to a second step. The second step will lead to a third step because following Jesus is not a one-step journey. Following Jesus is step-by-step trusting him with the direction of your life because you may not see the entire path. You may not see the entire journey, but as long as I'm behind Jesus and I keep putting one foot in front of the other, I don't have to see what's on the other side. I don't have to see the full journey. All I have to do is trust him and take step by step by step along the pathway of life and I will arrive at my destination. But we've caught up with this celebrating the first step so much then we have too many believers who Jesus is a moving target. Jesus didn't set up a church on earth, I think, to demonstrate a point. He didn't have a ministry center in Jerusalem. He didn't have a ministry center in Jericho. He went from place to place to place to let us know that if you want to follow Jesus, you better pay attention and start taking the steps because he's not going to stay in one place very long. And we have too many people that take the first step, I got a ticket to heaven, I'm good to go. The problem is Jesus has already moved on. So the question would be, because how we do that here is you have to have other people around you to help you see which steps you need to take. If I'm going to become more like Jesus, I need to look in a mirror and see my weaknesses, see my flaws, see my frustrations, and see my needs. I need to be able to look in the mirror and see who I truly am so I can lay that picture next to Jesus and say, you know what, I don't, I don't really talk like Jesus. No, I don't love people the way Jesus loved. I, I don't, I'm not responding to people the way Jesus responds to. You can only see that with a mirror. And what I've learned is when I'm by myself, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Like when I, it's just me, I feel like I'm a really good disciple. When it's just me, I feel like I'm the best husband in the world. When it's just me, I feel like I'm the best father in the world, the best pastor in the world. I feel like I had it all together until I'm in an environment where there's people who are actually better than me. 
When I'm around a, a husband who really honors his wife really well, it challenges me, it exposes to me, hey, you're probably not as good in this spot as you could be. And I have to make a decision to either conform or stay the same. When I'm around people who are passionate in worship, I, it exposes my lack of passion. I have to make a decision, am I gonna stay the same or am I gonna adapt? And you can only do that with other people. People are designed to want expose our weaknesses and our blind spots, then hold us accountable to grow through them. That's why we build community at chapel. You can sit in a pew and you're the best person, best follower, best prayer, best worshiper, best person in the world because no one knows you. But once you step into community like Jesus did, Jesus was never by himself, he was always with other people. Once you step into there, now you have people that can help you see how you can conform to the image of Christ. So what steps, have you only taken one step? Or when was the last time you took an intentional step to follow Jesus? When was the last time you quit going through the motions of church, quit going through the the routines of life and took an intentional, intentional step of following Jesus? For some that could be baptism, for some that could be reading your Bible daily, some of you could be prayer, some of you could be a seek night, for some of you it could be serving, for some of you it could be Uh, honoring your wife better? What is the step that is right in front of you that God is asking you to take? Because I I believe you won't find meaning until you keep taking step after step after step. Number three, life has meaning, one, when I know God and I'm known by God. Number two, when I'm conforming or I'm becoming more like Jesus. And number three, when I'm becoming more like Jesus, it will lead me to this place. When I discover my purpose, and I use my purpose to serve other people. We do that through essentials and champions here, that we believe everyone has a purpose inside of them, and you're not gonna find fulfillment in life till you start walking out that purpose. And here's what it means. When God created you, he did not create you on accident. When God created you, he created you on purpose, and he created a purpose inside of you that he wants you to discover as gold beneath the surface that your life may have soil over top of it, it may look dirty on the outside, but deep down there's gold in in their heels. And God wants you to discover that gold because it's valuable to the world around us. In Ephesians chapter two, uh, this scripture is one we use for I was, but God I am. Meaning I used to be evil, I used to be sinful, I used to be dark, I used to be these things, but God. Everybody say, but God. But God, rich in mercy. I was this person, but God was rich in mercy. Now I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. It's an incredible scripture. When you get to verse eight, here's what it says. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Now people will read that scripture and they will stop. And they'll say, well, I'm not saved by works. I'm saved by faith and grace. So I can just, life is not a matter of works, good or bad. I can just do what I want to do because it doesn't make a difference. I didn't earn my salvation. I can't lose my salvation. I didn't do this. And they think, well, it's all God and none of me. Well, the problem is, if you read the next verse, it makes you sound really stupid if you just said that. In verse 10 it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. I'm not saved by works, but I'm created for good works. So works are a part of salvation. Regardless of what anyone says, works are a part of salvation. It says, for good works which God prepared beforehand. 
that we should walk in them. What that means is you do not earn your salvation by doing good things. But once you get saved, God has prepared good works for you to do to display the glory of him saving you through grace. So you're not saved by works, you're saved for works. There's too many believers that are saved by grace but never get to the works part. And I'm not saying works trying to earn God's approval. You have to come to this place where I'm approved by God. My salvation proves that God loves me. But from that, I want to do everything I can to glorify the one who sacrificed everything for me. I want to do everything I can to honor his name, to honor who he is, and do everything I can to say, God, I can't repay you, but I want to let the whole world know and see that you are good. I want them to know what I've experienced. I want them to know your love. I want them to see. And it says here that we don't have to work hard for it because God prepared them beforehand. We just have to walk in them. Where would God prepare those works beforehand? In you. When God created you, he created you, he prepared works inside of you. He prepared something inside of you. He prepared gifts inside of you. He prepared resources inside of you. He prepared knowledge inside of you. He prepared love inside of you that he wants you to release as good works around you. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it explains it this way. He says, for each, look at your name and say, for each. Every person has received a gift. For each has received a gift. Use it. Use it to be on TBN. No. Use it to raise money. No. Use it to find fulfillment. No. Use it to get fame. No. Use it to serve one another. It means God has placed something inside of you he wants you to use to serve other people. As good stewards of God's varied grace, meaning I'm stewarding God's grace. God has given me grace for salvation, now I steward that by how I release what he's placed inside of me. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified. You read back in Jeremiah, when he's talking to him, he says, in whatever I command you, you shall speak. So the appointment that God gave Jeremiah, he's given you an appointment in the same way. He's placed something inside of you, appointed something in you he wants to get through you. And it's not a matter of, well, you know, if, if I discover my purpose, I'll, I'll be a little bit happier. No, 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 this is an obey or disobey thing. He tells Jeremiah, whatever I speak to you, whatever I command you to speak, you need to speak. So whatever God's appointed you to, whatever he's placed inside of you, he's commanded you to release it to people. I know it may be difficult. Jeremiah had to face persecution, but he had something inside of him. God says, I need you to release this. Why? Because your spiritual appointment, what God has appointed in your spirit, is directly connected or correlated with someone else's eternal appointment. Your spiritual purpose is directly connected to someone else's eternal purpose. When people don't release or let go of what's inside of them, people suffer in their eternal destinations. We can pretend all day that it's all about me, but once you get saved, it's all about God. And when we don't release what God has placed inside of us, one, we don't experience meaning here on earth, that has eternal value and eternal weight. But two, the people around us suffer. 
It's like a, a boxcar. If you ever watched, one of my favorite books growing up was the Boxcar Children, so I try to use train illustrations whenever I can. Boxcar, boxcar is a really ugly device. It's really a box. It's rusted usually on the outside, has graffiti on the outside, but on the inside, it usually carries very valuable supplies or resources. It's usually carrying freight. They're trying to get from one destination to another destination. Now the problem with the boxcar is even though there's something valuable inside of it, it can't get to where it needs to go unless it's connected to an engine to pull it from point A to point B. So if it's not connected to an engine, it's gonna stay right where it is. It will be stuck at that current destination or location. But if you hook it up to the engine, it will deliver it to its destination. It doesn't have to know where the destination is. It doesn't have to have a really follow. It just has to connect to the engine and go wherever the engine goes. In the same way, you may not look like much on the outside. Like a boxcar, you may have scars, graffiti scars on your life. It may not look like you have much inside of you, but if you open the door to your spirit and your soul, if you slide open that big boxcar door of your life, God has deposited an incredible, an incredibly valuable resource deep inside of you. Some people can't see it. Your friends may not see it. Family may not be able to see it. But God has the ability to see beyond that door to the inside what he's placed inside of you. When he created you, he placed it inside of you. And he has a, an appointment prepared beforehand, good works prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. And he has a destination for you to go from point A to point B to release your cargo to people who need it. People who need your love, people who need your joy, people who need your spiritual gift, people who need your relationship, people who need your prayer, people who need your joy. God has somebody prepared for you to release what he's given you. Now the problem with it is you can't get to your destination as a boxcar unless you're connected to the engine. If you're not connected to the engine, you're not knowing God and becoming more like him, you're gonna be stuck. There's a lot of believers who are stuck. There's a lot of believers who are in the same spot year after year after year after year. They have the same cargo. And the reason is they feel like if God was going to let them do something, God would make it happen. But the boxcar has to attach to the engine. And once the boxcar attaches to the engine, the engine does all the work. The engine will take you to where you need to go. The engine will deliver you to point B. You have to trust the fact once you connect. So the church is like this. The church is nothing more than a bunch of boxcars getting our connections together. Jesus is the lead engine. He's the visionary of the church. But as we as people connect together, you have gifts. I have gifts. You have resources. You have things. And God says, I have a vision. I, I, I have stuff in this church. I need to get out of this church to point A. I have a dream center I need in the shoals. I've tried to get other people to do it, but they can't join together. I need y'all to join together so we can deposit some things in this community. There's some resources, some gifts I need to deposit into this community. He says, whoa, whoa. also I have a destination in Haiti. That I need y'all to get your boxcars connected together. Jesus is the power. He'll get you there if you just connect to him. He'll get you there. Then I need you to deposit it. Many times we won't release what God has placed inside of us because we think if I release it, I'll be empty. But what I've learned is as soon as I pour out what God has poured into me, God pours back. Have you ever seen a train depot? When they stop at those depots, they start pulling off the cargo. 
When they're releasing some of it, there's always this big conveyor belt that's pouring back in. And I believe that's how God is. When you start releasing your purpose by serving other people, you start releasing your gift and releasing your love and releasing your prayer and releasing your life to other people, I believe God starts pouring back in more than you could ever believe. How do you know what your purpose is? Well, we do essentials here. That's how we do it. We want you to know who we are as a body, what those stops are along our train tracks, but also who you are and what's inside of your boxcar of your life. How has God designed you? How has he created you? What gifts has he placed inside of you? What personality has he given you? All things God created you with, he wants you to use along those stops. But you can also look out. Look out. What are the things God draws you to? What, what makes you angry? What makes you cry? What, what, what needs just move your heart? What things motivate your soul? What things make you excited? That, that's probably something God created you with. To look out and see the pain around you. Then look in. What abilities has God given you? What gifts has God given you? What desires has he given you? And then look up. And if you look up, I promise you, you'll see opportunities everywhere around you. If you just look up long enough with this perspective, this vision that God has placed something inside of me, I need to get out. People at work, you'll see. People at school, you'll see. And it may not always be the easiest thing, but God will place opportunities in front of you. And I believe once you say yes to one opportunity, God brings more opportunities. I joked in first service last year, I believe God can supernaturally heal people in this church, at the altar, but also outside the church. I was at the Shell Station where I get gas, walk in, and the lady had a little like brace on her wrist. So, you know, do you, I hate to even say this. You know when people are hurt, but they want everybody to know they're hurt? Like they're holding like, uh, like she's trying to work the kid. So like, I'm, I'm like, what's wrong? <laughs> like, she, like she's waiting for me to ask, what's wrong? Oh, my wrist hurts. Oh, I didn't notice. Um, so I felt like God had prompted me, why don't you pray for her? Big boy, you pray for people at church, why don't you pray for her here? I said, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? I'm thinking, I'm the man right now. She says, I'd rather you not. I'm like, what kind of devil are you? I'm like, somebody wants to pray for and I'm, I'm frustrated. And when I was walking out, like I'm walking like, golly, I miss God. Like I'm, I feel like embarrassed. Like this lady's judging me. I'm walking out back to my car to, to do my gas. And God said, just because I asked you to do something doesn't mean someone else wants it. And he said, I need to make sure that if I'm going to bring you bigger opportunities, you'll take advantage of these small opportunities. And God has opportunities in front of you. He wants you to release what's inside of me. Here's where, I'm about to close, give me five minutes. Here's where I feel like we're at, and this scripture with Jeremiah. Like, most of us would, would really love for God to show up and say, listen, Bobby, I know you. I formed you, I consecrated you, and I appointed you to this, this, this purpose. This purpose is your purpose. Like, I would love for God to say, here it is, black and white, boom, here it is. Like, this, this, this moment literally changed the trajectory of all of Israel. I would be like, God, whatever you want, yes. Look at Jeremiah's response. God, Lord, like, like, are you for real? Like, I don't want to do this. He says, oh, Lord God, behold, I do not even know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. And he started trying to talk himself out of what God was trying to talk him into. Did you even catch that? 
Like God is saying, here's meaning in life. Here's purpose in life. Here's what I created you for. This is your purpose. I'm setting it before you. Here you go. He says, eh. I'm like, really? I don't think I can do it. They did say Jeremiah is probably a young teenager at this moment, which sounds like a teenager. God shows up, hey, I have his purpose. Eh, can I stay in bed a little bit longer? Can I play a little Fortnite first? Like, how many times does God give it? And I think so many people are frustrated with God because they're waiting for God to answer a prayer that God has already answered, we just talked ourselves out of. We're waiting for God to answer a prayer. He's already given us the answer. We just talk ourselves out of the answer because it's not the answer we wanted. And here's Jeremiah, he says, ah, I'm too young. Ah, I'm just a youth. Oh, I don't know how to speak. How many of us, God says, I have something inside of you and you start looking for all the reasons you can't do it. I have a past. I'm not smart enough, I'm not rich enough, I'm not poor enough, I'm not this enough, I'm not athletic enough, I'm not this enough, and we start giving all these reasons. And we talk ourselves out of our destiny. I love God's response. <laughs> this, this response is so incredible. Jeremiah's given the list, this, 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 this. All the reasons why he can't do, and God says this, I don't really care. Actually, in my version, he basically says, don't say that. He says, shut your mouth. He's saying, shut your mouth, Jeremiah, because I knew you before anybody knew how old you were. I knew you. I formed you before anybody formed a reputation of you. I knew you. I knew you before failure or before success. I knew you before sin. I knew you after sin. I knew you before anybody else saw you. And here's what I say. I know what you're saying is true. I know you may be too young. I know you may be not able to speak. I know you may be this. I know you may be that. It may be true, but it's not relevant. So your weakness may be true to you, but it is completely irrelevant to God and until you come to that reality you'll keep talking yourself out of everything God places before you it may be true but it is irrelevant because God is strong in your weakness and God has meaning for your life that will only come through submitting to God and seeing God the way or seeing yourself the way God sees you and echoing God's voice rather than your own voice. When my voice echoes God's voice, anything is possible. When my voice echoes my voice, my heart, my mind, everything's an impossibility. And I believe God has created you. I believe he's created you to know God intimately and pursue him in a way you enjoy your relationship with God. I believe it's called you to community where you can grow and become more like him. Like every day you should be more like Jesus than you were the day before. Then he's called you to know the purpose, that gold deep inside of your life that's covered up with dirt and soil. He's called you to mine that out and bring it to the surface so other people can experience the beauty God's placed inside of you so you can make an impact in other people's lives. You would just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. God is a creating God and he doesn't create anything on accident. Or as Maya Angelou, he doesn't make ugly. He created you with a desire. He created you with beauty. He's created you with design. He's created you with personality. He's created you with gifts, as each has received a gift. 
use it to serve one another. Inside of you, if you'll listen to God's voice rather than the voice of people and yourself, you'll hear the meaning and purpose of your life come to the surface. But you cannot discover it until you come to a place where you know God and you let him know you. That's not knowing who God is or, or what God is. It's knowing God, like at a, in an intimate relationship level. And that starts with repenting, turning away from chasing after yourself, and repenting and turning towards God and saying, God, this is who I truly am. That's confession. God, this is who I truly am. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And this is who I am. If you want it, God, if you want me like this, you can have me. And God says, perfect. I'll take it and I'll give you a new life. And that begins the, the journey of experiencing meaning here on earth. If that's you this morning, I'm not going to have you come forward, I'm not going to have you stand up. If that's you, you say, you know what, I, I realize I, I've known God, but I've never let God know me. And today I just want to stop, I want to respond to God's voice and his spirit and say, God, today's the day I let you in. If that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, just slip your hand up right where you're at real quick. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, all over the room. Thank you, we'll take just a moment. Thank you, put your hands down. I'm gonna pray for you in just, a, in just a few seconds, but after I pray, if you would do me a favor. It's the only thing I ask you all day. If you just do me a favor, either come down front after service, we'll have some people down here to give a gift in your hand, or swing by the info center so they can get a gift in your hand and info so we can help you take those steps, not just the first step, but the second, third, and fourth steps to follow Jesus. Father, we love you. And we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the beauty of creation. But we thank you that the most beautiful part of creation is us. And we thank you that you created us with a beautiful purpose and design and meaning. And I just pray that you awaken us as a church. Awaken us to what's on the inside of us that you've deposited, you've invested inside of us so we can release it to the world around us. Father, I pray that you, that you bless these people, these people that raise their hands. Father, I pray that you awaken them to the reality of the gospel. They don't have to earn their salvation. You give it freely. But Father, in response, I pray they give you honor, they give you their lives, and they let you do what you want in and through them. So we thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us, that washes us, that gives us a new life in you. And so we bless you, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.